No Ketchup, No Ketchup. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to No Ketchup Chicago. I am your host, Nick Harvey, uh, filling in for Sean today. With me, I got our guy, Eli Cabron, uh, formerly of Bears.com. Coming back with these Monday Bears recaps. Uh, I know, you know, everybody's used to hearing us on Tuesdays. Last couple of years, we've been doing the Monday recaps. As you guys know, Sean moved out to New York. So scheduling has been pretty tough to kind of get these uh, get these locked down. But we had to give the people what they wanted. People have been reaching out to us, asking about these Monday recaps. So we're going to go ahead, Eli and I, we're going to get these going to you every single Monday after a Bears game, unless they end up playing on a Monday night or in the case of uh, this week on a Thursday. But again, we're going to be getting these to you guys every week because we know we want to hear those uh, those breakdowns of the Bears. So, Eli, what's going on, man? Welcome back. Been a while. How you been? I'm good, man. Just uh, it's another Bears year. Things are different, but yet they're <laughs> kind of the same. Another no, another no, Bears no, 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 year. Another Bears year is the best way uh, the best way to describe it. Um, so yesterday, Bears dropped twenty nine twenty two in Minnesota to the Vikings in a game that had a little bit of everything. Um, I don't know if you're like me, but the first half of that game, I was already like, "Man, here we go again." Typical Bears uh, yeah. team came out lackluster offensively, weren't getting anything done. Surprisingly, the way the defense came out yesterday. I was shocked. Uh, my first note that I wrote down on the game was, man, it looks like this defense is gassed to open the game, which was incredibly surprising, right? It looks like a fourth quarter defense in the first quarter. Uh, Kirk Cousins was looking like a Hall of Fame quarterback out there. Justin Jefferson was looking like the second coming of Antonio Brown or whoever you want to call it. And they were just kind of having their way with us, man. Um, as the game progressed, I thought in the second half, Bears came out like a completely different team. Uh, we kind of saw some of the things that we've been looking for all years, whether it's from Justin Fields, whether it's forcing big turnovers, uh, whether it's just playing with more energy and pace and, uh, again, just kind of looking like a team that wanted to be there, which was a completely different story from the uh, from the first half. But before we get super deep into it, man, Eli, how did you feel about the game? What were your thoughts? Kind of what were you thinking as you were watching that? Yeah, I had similar thoughts that you did, uh, Nick. The first half, it felt to me kind of like um, the Vikings were treating this game like it was like a – like a backyard, like Thanksgiving, like family game. Like they were running like double passes and flea flickers. Like there was no pass rush on Kirk Cousins. Everyone was like wide open. Like it was like a two hand touch kind of game. Like they were not taking it seriously at all because the Bears just like showed up. Like they were not interested at all in playing. Like you said, the defense looked like completely lost early on. The Bears get a delay of game on the first play of the game. They had the wrong personnel. Unreal. Which, like, <laughs> in any level of football is unacceptable. Like, you script, you go over those plays all week. You're, like, like it, it's, it makes no sense why the wrong people would be on the field up on the first play of the game. But I really think that the game flipped on that final drive of the first half. The Bears put together. They were able to score before halftime. And then they got the ball back. And they were able to move the ball again. That deep throw to Mooney really sparked um, the, the passing game. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then uh, and Justin Fields, I thought, played his best game of the season. Um, I was very, very glad to see his he had better touch on his throws, I thought, uh, than he had the last week um, against the Giants. He, he looked more comfortable in the pocket. He knew when to run and when to stay. Um, so I was very, very optimistic, very glad to see them developing. But then the ending was all too familiar, um, giving up a touchdown, giving up the two point conversion, having a chance to drive down the field. This guy, Smith Marquez, who was on the Vikings last year, instead of running out of bounds with all of Chicagoland yelling at their TV, get out of bounds, <laughs> he tries to fight for extra yardage and gets stripped and the game's over. So, like, it was 
I felt I feel better going out of this game than I thought I would, but it's still disappointing to see how they lost. Yeah, for sure. And as we kind of get into the game, right, we talked about the first quarter, the Vikings come out, Kirk Cousins is on fire. I think he completes his first 17 passes. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it was easy, right? It's not like he was out here completing in tight windows. Um, the Bears were playing pretty soft against him. He was just taking everything that the defense gave him. So he starts out 17 for 17. I think the Bears go down 21 to 3 before we get to that drive to uh, to end the first half. And then all of a sudden, it's like they flip a switch. You get the big pass to Mooney. Um, they don't score on that, which had me kind of nervous because if you look at the Bears throughout you know, the first four games of the season, when they got in the red zone, things got extremely shaky. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that wasn't the case, right? Awesome David Montgomery touchdown. I felt that Getsy had one of his best, his best performance so far of the year as far as calling plays, especially, again, when we got into the red zone. If you look at the game last week, I think it was four red zone trips three field goals or five red zone trips, four field goals, whatever it was. Um, nothing real too creative when we got down there. But I felt in this game, and really particular starting with that drive, Bears got super creative down there, called the right plays, ended it with a touchdown. Got scary for the second because he thought the Vikings were going to drive back down and get, yeah. get that quick field goal before half, but they ended up missing that. Bears go into halftime 21-10, to 10, and it just felt completely different, right? Again, I think before that touchdown, looking at that 21 to three, looking at how Cousins was picking us apart and looking at the fact that we couldn't respond at all on offense. It seemed like another one of these Bears games that we've grown accustomed to seeing, especially like you said, after getting a delay a game on the first play of the game, which I don't think I've ever seen before and watching 35 years of football. Yeah. Um, after that, look, I don't know what Eberflus said to them at halftime. I don't know what he did to them at halftime. I don't know what kind of speech we had. Um, but they came out in cute in the third quarter firing, right? Uh, Fields comes out immediately gets a big strike to Equiminius. First off, my favorite name in the NFL, <laughs> Equiminius St. Brown, huge strike to Equiminius St. Brown follows that up with a big strike to Cole Komet uses legs to get us yeah. into scoring position, which I think you hit on it earlier. His decision-making this game, as far as when to run, when to throw and just how comfortable he looked was the best I've seen him since he's been in a Bears uniform. Might not be his best rushing performance since he's been in a Bears uniform. Might not be the most yards he's ever gained since he's been in a Bears uniform. But if you just look at the decisiveness and just knowing, hey, now it's time to tuck and run. I'm feeling the pressure. Um, I think if you look in the last few weeks, he's kind of buckled when that pressure came or panicked or held onto the ball too long. He just kind of said, fuck it this game and said, I'm going to run. If that lane is there, I'm going to take it. I'm the best athlete on the field. I'm going to get us the first down. I'm going to get us the yards that we need. And he looked comfortable doing it, which I think was the biggest thing that we haven't seen so far this year. Um, and then they get down to the red zone and the play call to Vellis Jones Jr. was awesome. Yeah. Right? That's why talk, are you have him on the team? Yeah, exactly. When we talk about getting creative, when we talk about doing things that quite frankly, we see from other teams every single Sunday when we're watching the NFL, as far as getting guys, getting the ball into your playmakers hands. And I think I said it last week, the one thing that the Bears, I think, have really been lacking on offense is a legitimate playmaker um, outside of Justin Fields. So getting the ball to Vellis Jones in that situation, watching him turn the corner. Um, I know our guy, Eli Lidoff, shout out Eli. He was against the Vellis Jones Jr. pick. He's like, hey, this guy's a 25-year-old wide receiver. <laughs> I don't really care. Speed like that, when he turned that corner and uh, was able to score that touchdown, I was like, man, that's exactly what we've been looking for for that team. Um, what, what are kind of your thoughts on that? Yeah, I thought, I mean, clearly at halftime, Iberflus said to the team, like, look, we're going to go down, we're going to score, we're going to go for two, and then we're going to onside kick. Now, <clears throat> I didn't like the onside kick call, for example, for personally, I mean, 
that's one of those things that if he gets it, he looks like a genius. If he doesn't, he looks like an idiot. But I just, at that time, I didn't think that that was necessary. Um, it was still so early in the game, but, but then the defense came through and block or the special teams came through and blocked the field goal. So like it, he, they bailed out their coach, but was I like you, that. You weren't, you weren't feeling big balls either, Flus? <laughs> it was it going just for two early. and then the onside kick. It just <laughs> felt early. Like, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that if they saw something on tape that the the Vikings return team was bailing early and they thought they had a chance, like, I guess go for it. I just, at that time, I didn't, I didn't think it was needed, but I like that Iberflus has the confidence in his guys. Like, look, defense, we're going to put you in a tough spot if we don't get this, but you're going to have to make a play. And they went out and did it. They blocked the field goal. And so you could see all three phases kind of stepping up their game, playing better after that lethargic start. Um, it, it was very encouraging to see because like you had said, in past years, this would have been a game where they lost 31 to three. They would have been blown off the field. They had no interest in being there. Kirk Cousins is dealing and they would have just rolled over and died. And instead they, they got off the mat and fought back. I mean, it didn't come back with a win, which is kind of disappointing, but you do like to see that this team does not quit and they will play hard. All three phases really showed up. And so fields developed. I thought Eberflus called a good game. Um, so so there is encouraging signs. Yeah, for sure. And then if you look at the next drive, even, um, they would have scored a touchdown if it wasn't for an outstanding play by Harrison Smith. Like, yeah, I really thought definitely. that that was going to be a touchdown. So, again, I mean, there's nothing you can really do about that. It was an awesome play by Harrison Smith. But just the throw and the overall confidence in which he was slinging <laughs> and the confidence that they were giving him to call those plays, right? I think one of the criticisms we've had as far as Getsy goes is it seems like they were handcuffing fields for no real reason. Right. Like we get that the talent around him isn't great. And we get that they're there Monday through Friday seeing what's happening in practice, but it just felt like they were keeping the kitty, uh, the training wheels on this guy, not allowing him to go out there and kind of do his thing and kind of see what he can do. That wasn't the case this game, right? I thought that there were several deep shots uh, you look at the one to Mooney that they converted, right? You look at the back shoulder throw where I just don't think that Mooney was ready for it. No, but um, that was a, that was a good play call that that caught him off guard. Yeah, absolutely. And then you look at uh, you look at this one too, right? Again, was just a great play by Harrison Smith, but just taking those chances, it looked like they trusted Fields a lot more, and he delivered. Man, he looked completely comfortable out there. So they end that with uh, with a field goal. That's three straight scoring drives for the Bears, going back to the one right before the half. Um, and that takes us to the fourth quarter. And we knew it was going to – if you listen to me, right, if you listen to us often, you know how I feel about Kirk Cousins. You know how I feel about Kirk Cousins, right? He is 100% the type of quarterback that comes out, starts the game 17 for 17, puts up 21 points in the first quarter, and then scores eight the rest of the game while making a whole bunch of boneheaded plays. And to start the fourth, Kirk gave us one, right? He gave us one back right there. Awful pick by a veteran quarterback, but shout out Vildor for being in position to make yeah. that play. And he read it perfect. Yeah. Again, when you talk about the difference between the first half and the second half, those are the type of plays you have to make. We're talking about blocked field goals. We're talking about picks like that. Um, so the Bears get the ball back. Kirk gives us it back. Uh, we end up putting together a solid drive, 51 yard field goal by Santos, who look, I know I've been critical of in the past, but this guy is automatic. And the confidence that they were throwing him out there with, like it wasn't even a decision, right? 51-yard right. field goal, we're going for it. We know Cairo's going to nail this. And there was some confidence in the defense at that point. Um, we go up 22-21. Um, and then, man, last drive, defense just kind of lets us down, the right? third and, down. It yeah. Was, yeah, that was tough. 
it was terrible. It looked like the first quarter again, again, just giving Justin Jefferson a ton of space, giving these Vikings receivers a ton of space. I felt that the pressure that we didn't apply on Kirk Cousins throughout the game really came back to bite us on that drive because we just weren't. He had a clean pocket for a lot of the game, right? A um, few times we were able to kind of get some pressure on him. But overall, I felt like he was operating from a pretty clean pocket. Um, and in that last drive, they just picked us apart. They score, go for two. Bears get the ball back with some time, right? This is kind of when we talk. Yeah. Yeah. When we talk about development, it's like, all right, here we go, right? Game's on the line, two minute drill, right? You have some momentum. We just gave up a touchdown. But again, offensively, you've had some momentum by having three straight scoring drives. Bears are looking ready to go. Drive looks good. Montgomery has an absolutely huge play, right? I thought he was awesome in the passing game this week. Uh, which is something that I think we need to use a lot more. I, I just felt like he was really good as far as fighting for extra yards. I know the rap on him coming out of college was that this is the type of guy who doesn't go down on first contact. And if you look at the game yesterday, several different plays, that was the case for him. He was able to extend plays um, by just refusing to go down and shaking off defenders. You have that huge play um, setting us up to get back into scoring position. Fields is looking good. Throw the ball to Amir Smith Marseille, former Vikings. Is it Marseille, Marsal, whatever his name yeah, was. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and in a situation where anybody who watches football understands that you just got to get out of bounds right there, right? You're, you don't need to fight for extra yards. You have some time. You just want to stop the clock. Things are looking good. And uh, I think the guy's name is Dantzler. Just absolutely yeah, comes up and, and, and takes his cookies. That's what I said last night when I was, or yesterday when I was watching the game. Just came up took his cookies, and that's the end of the game. It's funny. I heard a quote after the game from Dantzler, and, you know, obviously uh, Smith-Marset used to play for the Vikings, so they know this guy a little bit. And he said, we kind of had the intel that he'd be loose with the ball. Because if you look at when he came up to take that, you don't see guys just come up and just rip a ball from a guy like that. It wasn't a punch out. It wasn't anything like that. He just came up and literally ripped the ball out of his hands. It happened so fast that in the moment I was like, dude, what the fuck just happened, right? Did he drop that? Like, what happened? Um, but after seeing that and then reading that quote afterwards, it's like, okay, clearly they knew that this guy was kind of careless with the ball and that was a plan that they had. Um, what were your thoughts on that? Kind of just the emotional roller coaster of that last real five minutes of the game. I mean, kind of where were you? Yeah, I, I, I had the same feelings as you. I was very disappointed, I think, in the defense that they let so many third down conversions happen. I didn't, um, I didn't rewatch the, the, the second half or the fourth quarter, I should say, but. It seemed like they were double and triple teaming Justin Jefferson and making other people beat them, which I, I think is probably a smart strategy. But you can't leave those, you can't leave that coverage so open, especially on third and fourth down, for them to convert so easily. And then there was that deep pass. I think it was on fourth down where there was defensive holding in the end zone. Yeah, and yeah, they, yeah. I missed that huge call. They Massive had call. triple coverage. Like you probably didn't need to hold at that point because you had a safety back there, but. That's the, the, I mean, the Bears have such a young secondary. We've been saying that all year. Like, they're going to go through learning curves and, and growing pains. Without Jalen Johnson out there, they really don't have a true shutdown corner at the moment. And so those mistakes happen against all pro players like Justin Jefferson. And then on the other drive, on, on Fields' drive, I really liked what he was doing. He, he was making plays. Like you said, Montgomery fought for those yards, got that first down. And really that – that opens up because of those deep balls that they were throwing earlier. The, the, the Vikings couldn't just crowd the box. They had to play deep. And that gave Montgomery room to operate when he got that pass. 
Um, but then the the last play of the game, it's just football IQ. You have to go out of bounds. You can't. You don't need the the five yards or whatever you're going to get is not worth the, the 25 seconds that are going to run off the clock. Like you just go out of bounds. Um, and that that was just. It looked like an NBA steal, kind of like remember um, Ron Harper just used to like chop at the ball yeah. and like <laughs> and like that's what they did. They just were like yoink, it's mine now. Like it, it was just inexcusable for an NFL receiver to not be aware of his space and where he was on the field and the clock and the situation like that. And so that was disappointing to see, to, to see it all come down like that. So um, you add the, that to his block on the back. Block yeah. The which call that he had been called for earlier. Which was too. completely another, unnecessary. Another drive killer right there. So. Yeah, exactly. And like that killed a, a, what would have been fields is like signature highlight too. Like that, that was an awesome run Yeah, that the block in the back did not, was not needed at all. And he just kind of uh, torpedoed that drive too. So yeah. Yeah. A, it's a funny. Game. I was watching after the game, and I was watching the football after show, which is with uh, Dave Wanstead, Lance Briggs, and uh, Alex Brown, hosted by hosted by our guy Cap. Shout out Cap, Chicago <laughs> legend. Um, and Wanstead was talking about that. And he's like, "You coach that like this, right? If you get beat on that, you get beat. Nothing good comes from turning around and trying to chase that guy because all you're going to get is a block in the back. So yeah. we can talk about how it was a touchy call, how it didn't really look like he pushed him that hard or whatever it is, but officials are going to call that." 9.8 times out of 10, right? They yeah. see you chasing after a guy putting hands on him. It's just a block in the back. There's no reason to do it. You're not going to stop anything from happening. Juan said's point was at that point, we teach, go find someone else to block. Go find someone else to hit because you've right. been beat. It's okay. Just move on. Um, so you talk about that. Yeah, absolutely erase that massive run by Fields. And then he compounds it with a huge mistake in the fourth quarter. And if you look at that play, he turns back in. Right, like he had a clear lane to run out of bounds. Yeah, he got the, the down. Right, yeah. and with the way we were rolling, like, dude, you did your job, right? Your job was to catch the ball, get out of bounds, extend the drive, right? We don't need you to be a hero. We don't need you to play out your body. You're not Tyreek Hill. You're not the cheetah. You yeah. know what I mean? You're not. You're not one of these guys. You're not Debo Samuel. You're not going to truck folks out there. There was three defenders around you. You weren't going anywhere. To your point, you weren't doing anything really except for killing time off the clock. Right. And in that situation, in a two minute drill, I don't care if you're a rookie, a second year guy or a veteran, you know that time is of the essence. The most important, valuable thing that you have in that situation is the clock. You have to get out of bounds. What you can't do, what you can't do, worst case scenario, they tackle you inbounds and now we have to burn a timeout. Right. Well, that's Absolute not the worst, worst case scenario. Yeah, well, right. I'm sorry. Yeah, second worst case scenario. <laughs> the unthinkable scenario is what happens. You have a turnover and you end the game on that. And we don't really get to see what was going to happen with that drive. Maybe that's the thing that I'm most upset about. It's not necessarily that it costs us the victory. If you know where I am this year with the Bears, I'm not I'm not counting wins and losses like I normally would. I'm just looking for progress and development. And I just wanted to see what the result of that two-minute drive was going to be. I just wanted to see what Fields had in store. That would have been a true measure of his confidence and where he is as a quarterback where he is with this staff, right? I get, um, and I think we saw it several times in this game, the Bears just don't have the talent out there on the field, right? Yeah. Whether you talk about no Jalen Johnson, it looked like our secondary was in shambles. A uh, few good plays by uh, by Vildor, but he got beat pretty bad by Jefferson on some plays as well. Um, I thought that uh, Brisker had a solid game. I think Gordon, he had, a nice Gordon, Gordon had a good game too. But overall, look, we know that there's not a ton of talent there. We talk about the receiving core. Look, Fields was awesome. Dante Pettis dropped two massive yeah. balls. 
He right? should not be an NFL receiver. Shouldn't be an NFL receiver at all. Um, shouldn't be an NFL receiver at all. It was just too. I get the first one was a little bit high, but it's a catchable ball. It was yeah. a little high, but very catchable ball on Sundays. Absolutely. Um, so you look at that. The offensive line. I thought overall the protection held up. Um, I think Hunter got back there a few times, and they were able to put some pressure on. We know our line isn't great, but overall the protection was better than it has been. So again, we know we're playing at a deficiency when it comes to talent. But we can't make these stupid boneheaded mistakes. You go back right. to the Bellis Jones Jr. fumble last week. Yeah. It's the same type thing, right? When you don't have the talent, you have to play smarter. You have to play smarter. Um, so I think that that was just something that, again, that was where I was really disappointed. It's not necessarily that the game ended in a loss. It's that I didn't get to see the progress that I was seeing in this game and some of those, again, those check boxes that I've been looking for all year. Um, and, and it sucks that it ends on something like that. Well, that, yeah, that kind of goes into like the, the big picture stuff that I know you wanted to talk about because all season long, I've been saying it's hard to evaluate fields because of the talent around him. And not, that's not an excuse. Like you can praise him for the things he does well and criticize him for the things he does poorly. But being a quarterback is you're so dependent on your blocking up front and your talent outside. And he just doesn't have it. Like it's hard to tell if he's maturing, if he's growing, if plays that don't come through are his fault or the receiver's fault like without a capable receiver like darnell mooney is a solid wide receiver cole Komet maybe a good tight end we, we're not really sure because he never gets the ball <laughs> montgomery is a solid nfl running back but like besides that he has nothing to work with and so it's really hard to tell if justin fields is developing correctly and so i re- I, I feel the same as you that we got robbed of seeing him win that two-minute drill this was his chance to like yeah, the talent around him isn't great, but like you're playing another team that has a first-year head coach. They're looking for a win to stay in first place also. like This is a big game. This is a chance for Justin Fields to go out and, and show what he can do, and he's kind of robbed of that opportunity because of this free agent guy that they picked up is fighting for extra yards and gets stripped. And so it just sucks that we as fans and evaluators want to see progression from our quarterback, and he isn't given that opportunity because receivers are dropping balls, uh, the right tackle, Larry Borum, doesn't know which way to block and, and leave someone right in his face. Like, it, it it would be nice to see Fields and really fully evaluate him with a supporting cast that gives him a chance to succeed um, as opposed to what he has now. It just is the, the reality of the situation. They don't have enough high-quality NFL players on the roster. Absolutely. And I feel like, you know, I've been fair on my criticism of Fields. When times, like you said, when times when I feel like it is his fault, Right. Uh, you go back to the game, not last game, but two weeks ago. I forget who they played. Um, there were just some clear the, oh, the Texans yeah. game. Yeah. Yeah. There were just some clear missed throws. Right. And he was missing screen passes to running backs, which I don't care who you're playing with. That can't happen. Right. That That's an easy throw that you should be able to make at this point in your career. Um, holding the ball. Right. That's a fair criticism. I get that he's kind of shell shocked back there because the pressure is coming 60 percent of the time. He's not thrown from a clean pocket. So that'll cause you to kind of, you know, develop some bad habits. But at the same time, there were things that were 100% on fields. But when we talk about the talent and we talk about the fact that, like, yeah, this guy, Amir Smith-Marset, should not be playing in the NFL. Right. Dante Pettis should not be playing in the NFL, right? There are offensive linemen on this team that should not be starting in the NFL. So when you look at that talent and just the lack of talent that he has, like, to your point with Komet, He's fine, but he, he he's not one of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. When you look at uh, Montgomery, Montgomery's solid, man. Montgomery and Herbert, I like that combination. 
I think yeah. he's a good, solid, to your point, NFL running back. You can do fine with David Montgomery. The problem is he's not good enough to carry you like that when the rest of the things around him aren't that great. And it's the same thing with Fields, right? You have to put some talent around him. I'm not saying go out and sign Mike Evans. I'm not saying go out and trade for Stephon Diggs, right? Obviously, those would be ideal scenarios. But bringing in your receiving core, which Mooney, to me, is is a two, right? I think he has a ton of talent and can make some great plays. I don't know if he's a guy you're throwing the ball to 15, 16 times a game. Um, But he makes a lot of good plays, right? I've heard someone call him a three, which I think is kind of crazy. Um, I think he's he's a solid high two in a, in a good offense, right? But you need someone who's that Mr. Reliable, that guy who constantly gets open, might not be the most spectacular wide receiver in the world, but is just reliable. We don't have that, right? But when you get past Mooney, you're talking about a bunch of guys who are cut from the Vikings, right? Guys who no one else wanted. Guys the Packers didn't want, right? Who they, And they need receivers, right? So yeah. you get really low to uh, – you get, you get to some of these guys that are your third, fourth guys these guys are seven, eights, and nines practice squad guys and other teams. There's a reason for that. Um, and same with the line. Like Sam Mustafer, the center. Oh, my was, God. He, he was not very good yesterday, but he was a practice squad guy last year. Like, yeah. they, they just – there has to be some – either field has to be comfortable in the pocket and able to give these scrub receivers chances to get open, or the receivers have to make plays. And right now, neither of those are, are options because the whole offense – is just a work in progress and like there's just not enough skilled talent around him um both up front and and on the perimeter so do you feel that you know obviously i want to give polls the benefit of the doubt i almost want to feel like he was told not to splurge in free agency so obviously you've been around the organization a lot you know how they kind of run you understand this is a unique organization in the sense that it is a true family family business um do you think that they told him, hey, man, we, we just don't want you to go out and splurge. Just put together the best team that you can right now with limited resources, and we know that next year you're going to have a ton of money? Because for me, it is hard to just imagine that this was the plan, right? You look around the league. When Burrow was on his way, they went out and got uh, Jamar Chase, right? When Josh Allen was on his way, they went out and got Stephon Diggs. When Lamar Jackson was on his way, they developed an entire offense that 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 fits his skill set whether that's drafting mark andrews going out get bateman hollywood brown different guys that they've had come through there it seems like a lot of these other teams have kind of developed their thing towards that young quarterback and when you start getting to year two year three you start putting some pieces in there for them feels like they just completely punted on that this year so do you think that that's a poll situation or is that the bear or is that the bears telling him hey let's just chill this year I think it's a combination of the two to not, not get away from, not to avoid giving you an answer, but I think polls came in and said, look, this team is more than one year away. Like it's going to take a while to rebuild. We don't, we didn't have a first round draft pick last year. We have all this cap space that's being filled up. Can we trade Khalil Mack? Can we try to, can we get off some of these big contracts and try to make progress this year? And then next year go all in. I think he saw that the window was I mean the the team was not going to be competitive this year pretty much regardless of what they did and so it's more of a two or three year plan as opposed to the team saying we're not spending any money this year but I also probably think ownership who is still paying Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy like they're like we're gonna we're not gonna really cut big checks this year let's develop let's plan for the future and and maybe go all in in 2023 as opposed to spending big this year with a new coach and a new GM. So 
I think polls probably came in and said it's going to take a while, and the ownership agreed and said, "Yeah, let's let's do that. Let's take let's do the take a while plan because there's no need to to spend big uh, this off season." And I get that if you are a team that say had a lot of draft picks over the last couple of years and you're watching a bunch of young guys develop, but when you're a team who during the Nagy Pace era heavily mortgaged your future for the present whether you talk about the Trubisky deal the Mac deal even all the way down to the Foles deal and several deals in between this team was kind of like an NBA team as far as just like trading away your draft picks for production now right so it's not like you had a bunch of young guys in the pipeline where it's like hey we don't need to splurge this year let's see how these young fellas turn out these young guys that are on the team this year are not guys that are going to be part of your long-term plans there's no there's no way you can tell me that Amir Smith, Marset is part of your long-term no. plans, or Dante. There's Pettis a few. There's term. a few here and yeah, there. Yeah, for sure. Especially on defense, you have some guys that, you, that you're going to be evaluating. But it's not like it's like, hey, man, we've we've done a whole bunch of draft picks, and let's just kind of see where these guys are. So my thing was like, why not? I get it's a two or three year type situation, but why not start laying that foundation? Why not start trying to find some guys, at least guys on the offensive line, right? Grab grab a couple linemen, spend some money there, start building that foundation. Keep your quarterback upright. I say it every week. No quarterback can throw from their back. I've yet to see one. If you can find the quarterback that can throw from their back, all right. But it doesn't exist, right? So why not start laying some of that foundation? You don't have to go crazy, but get some, 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 you know, some other pieces in there that you could start walk, walk, working in. Some bargain guys. Some second chance guys. I don't know. Short contract type guys. They, that, that they, they did at. sign what's his name, Leatherwood from the Raiders, but he oh hasn't. We haven't seen him yet. But yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there is a there is. Yeah, a and I don't. And you know, I actually don't mind that. Guys. Alex Leatherwood was a first round draft pick for a reason. Didn't work out in the Raiders. You yeah. want to give a look, and you need help on the line. I actually don't have a problem with that at all. But yeah. I, I, I just for the life of me, can't understand how you felt that this was the best way to go into an NFL season, especially when your quarterback's first year, and I get you weren't around for that, but his first year was a complete wash because you had a coaching staff that was uninterested in developing him. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. They, they needed to give Fields more of a chance to succeed, whether that's playmakers on the outside, whether that's blocking, whether that's I mean, they, they did that with Luke Getze, they think, but there needs to be some investment in the town around him. Um, I didn't mind. I mean, I, we didn't talk after the draft, but I, I didn't mind taking defensive backs with the first two picks because you are in a division with Aaron Rodgers and you know that to beat them, you need playmakers in the secondary. But um, And then they did draft Ellis Jones in the third round, but they needed to do more, in my opinion. For sure. Byron Pringle and uh, Equiminia St. Brown and then Velas Jones are not going to turn a bad offense into a good offense. Does Pringle there. even play? Is he hurt? I, I don't yeah, He's hurt, yeah. Okay, yeah. But it, it's just not enough. They needed to do more. Um, and you're seeing in, like, in Philadelphia, it took them a while to figure out how to use Jalen Hurts correctly. And, and maybe that's what the Bears' plan is, but they sabotaged his first year by keeping Matt Nagy in a lame duck season and then throwing in Andy, Andy Dalton for no reason. They, they just made that situation as toxic as possible. Because they and thought so they were contenders. This is rookie year, yeah. like in, in my opinion. For sure. And at, at, to your point about the draft, look, I know a lot of people are like, you got to get a wide receiver, you got to get a running back. You got to trust your board. When you're yeah. a team like the Bears who had holes all over the roster, uh, Pace and those boys left us with holes all over the roster on both sides of the ball. Our good players were old and expensive, and we didn't have a lot of young guys in the pipeline. So if Kyler Gordon and Javon Brisker are your top two rated guys on your board, 
then you take them. Because if those guys turn into studs in two, three years, you won't be remembering that we spent second and third round picks on them or third and fourth, whatever they went, right? Um, And same thing with the Bellis Jones thing. This is the NBA where you're trying to draft 17 or 18-year-olds and projecting them out for the next eight eight to nine years. Right. In the NFL, you need guys to produce now. And if not now, then the – Their shelf life is five years max. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I had no problem with his age. I'm not I'm not trying to draft a 20 year old guy and, and wait five years. Right. Unless he's that dude. So I had no problem with that philosophy. Again, you got to trust your board. If those are the best guys on your board and that's who you rate out highly, for sure, go out and get them. The fact is, you had some money in free agency. You had some wiggle room and you could have you could have went out and got some <clears> other <throat> guys. And it just seems like when you started signing some of these wide receivers, you talk about Pringle. St. Brown is actually fine. I don't have a problem with him. His brother, his brother is really good, too. Shout <laughs> yeah. out Amon Ra out there. I know uh, Detroit got blanked yesterday, but overall, he's been pretty good. I don't mind it. He had some good plays. Um, Pringle, we haven't really seen yet, so I, I guess, you know, he's a vet. He's been around a few years, so maybe he might be able to do some things. But, yeah, when you get down to to Smith-Marset and, and Pettis and these guys who just have no business lining yeah. up as starting wide receivers on Sunday – especially knowing that injuries are going to happen in the NFL. And at some point you're going to turn to these guys who are fourth and fifth in your depth chart. And to my point earlier, if these guys are nines and tens somewhere else's, that's what's going to, that's going to show up on Sunday. So I just feel like they could have uh, just tried to get more talent in the building, man. Again, just take some swings. You have a ton of cap space coming into next year too. I'm not saying go out there and, and, and blow the bag on whoever and get irresponsible, but I felt like there could have been a better strategy. And that's why it's almost like, man, did the organization come to him and just say, hey, just try to get through this year. You guys are safe. We're not going to hold this against you. But yeah, another wasted year by a rookie quarterback or by your quarterback, that shit matters, man. You can't just punt on years. And to your point with the Eagles, look, man, Everybody we talk about it every week. All the outside noise was he's not a quarterback. He can't throw the deep ball. They have all these draft picks. They're going to go out and get another guy. He's just a placeholder, right? He's just a transition quarterback for them. They built it around him. They went out and got an offensive line to help him out. They went out and got a running game to help him out. They brought a head coach in that's going to believe in him, right? He had to deal with some bullshit. He had a year at Doug Peterson and uh, Carson Wentz. Right. So yeah, you know, but but you build the program around him. You give him confidence. And again, we can't we can't hold them responsible for the mistakes of last year with Nagy. So I'm not going to do that. But um, when you get in there, you have to understand that above all else, the number one most important thing for the Chicago Bears is the development of Justin Fields. I don't want to hear anything else. I, I don't. Um, so that kind of brings my next question: Where are you at? with blues and his staff i know everything looks good compared to where we've been the last few years i know you loved Nagy, um <laughs> so <laughs> where are you with flus and his staff and kind of just kind of just the matt eber flus experience luke getsy alan williams those guys yeah so full transparency i i was skeptical of the hire from the beginning uh because i didn't like just from the optics sense of point of view that ryan poles was hired and suddenly he had the same list of final candidates that the search committee had like what a coincidence that this guy, the, the new GM who's, who's allowed to pick his own head coach likes the three guys that the team also liked. And, and you realize that Matt Eberflus and Ryan Pohl share an agent who happens to be former bear defensive lineman, Trace Armstrong. So like, I thought it was sort of a nepotism pick that they, they like this guy because he's part of quote unquote, the bears family because, because of Armstrong's connection. But so I, 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 I counted that as a strike against Eberflus before he even got a chance to prove himself. And so that's just a personal thing. Um, 
and I, I didn't care about the three and zero preseason, whatever. Like that doesn't mean anything to me. But what I did enjoy was that he is going for it. He played his starters in the preseason, and then you'll see that in the regular season, this team doesn't give up, um, which we saw so many times under Matt Nagy. Like the Packers game, they had a chance in the fourth quarter. The Giants game last week, they had a chance in the fourth quarter. This yesterday, they had a chance in the fourth quarter. And with a team that has no talent, the fact that they're trying. They're, that Iberflus is doing anything he can to put them in position to succeed. Like, I really think that's admirable. Uh, we'll see how he gets with X's and O's and coaching. I, I don't, I don't know if the, the delay of game on the first play, it's probably not his fault. He doesn't do the offensive play calling. He doesn't script those plays, but that's a reflection on him. Um, he saved all his timeouts last week in New York for some reason that was kind of mind boggling to me, but he, he's a, it's his fourth game also. So like, He's taking time to figure out his role, what he needs to do. Um, so I, I'm optimistic. I was down on him at the start, but he's growing on me. But uh, so I'm, I'm kind of in a wait and see with with Eberflus. I, I think he has qualities that will make him a good head coach, but we need to see those develop uh, moving forward. And you know what? I, I, as far as like the holding on the timeouts and some of the X's and O's and game management, thing, based on some of the game management that we've seen around the NFL this oh my year God, or lack of – from whether it's a rookie head coach like Hackett or even a what three or four year guy like Zach Taylor yesterday ran a ran a reverse on fourth and two and lost yeah. twelve yards. So yeah, whether it's stuff like that, I, I, I'll I'll kind of hold out the benefit of the doubt on that because he hasn't done some of the egregious things that I've seen around the league um, as far as game management. And with the defense, look, you talk about like his hits principle philosophy and all that. First off, I love that type of shit. Yeah. Give me all the corny football shit that you possibly that can. I, I love it. I love it. Right. Um, they're forcing turnovers, they're making plays. I, I I said it yesterday, and this is obviously like a kind of like, yeah, no shit type thing, but they are like an elite pass rusher away, right? You put a really good pass rusher in there, you have some opportunistic players on defense that are gonna make plays, right? So you if you get the pressure thing figured out, if you get Again, I get this is what everybody wants, but a Khalil Mack type or somebody in there who's just able to kind of be disruptive for them and put pressure. I think those guys like to make plays. And you obviously know Eddie Jackson seems to have a resurgence this year. He made some plays yesterday. And yeah. obviously he's had a few picks this year um, after really what, two years without any interceptions. Um, and some of the different guys they got out there, again, these, these are guys that are going to pounce on those opportunities. So I feel like there is a path to kind of seeing what I, – I see what he wants to do defensively. Like I really – I get the vision of what he's trying to do defensively. I think it's almost similar to kind of how Lovey was. Yeah. Where it's more much. that bend, don't break, force them into bad mistakes, right? You know, trust that the quarterback is going to give you one or that they're going to make a mistake and you just need to be ready to capitalize on that. So I 100% see that offensively to your point. I don't really know what his role is in the offense. I do put that delay a game on him. The coach is in charge of game day preparation. The coach is in charge of how you come out. And at some point he's looking at that and saying, why is the play not in? Right. Yeah. So if he has to have that conversation with Getsy today or whatever that is, that is 100% on him. That cannot happen in an NFL game. Um, but as far as how they play for him, the guys clearly like playing for him. They play hard for this guy. There's a lot of energy that they play with, save the first half of that game. Um, things like going for it on that two-point conversion, yeah. kicking the onside, going for the onside kick, like kind of like the ballsy stuff, like whether or not you agree with the decision or not, I understand what he was trying to do. It wasn't something that was so dumb, and it's like, why the hell would you even do that? I didn't <laughs> yeah. love the, going for the two-point conversion. I didn't necessarily love the onside kick, 
but I like the the idea behind it. I like I like what he was trying to do. Again, when you're playing at a position where you don't necessarily have the talent to beat the other team, you got to do stuff like that. You got to yeah, go for, for sure. it. You got to show him willingness to do that. So, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Like, you can't just fight them man to man and hope that you're going to beat them. Like, you have yeah. to try to steal a possession here and there. Try to get an extra point when you can. So, yeah, I like I said, I didn't think that that was necessary at the time to to yep. kick on side, but if they saw something on the film that thought it would work and he put trust in his players, like by all means go for it. I thought we, we all said that Matt Nagy was just like kind of asleep at the wheel. So many times he was so focused on the offense that he didn't pay attention to the rest of the team. Sure. And so I, I do like that. Iberflus is out there saying like, look, we're going to, if we, if we don't get this, we're going to put the defense in a tough spot, but we can do this. And so that, that kind of stuff, the hits philosophy, um, people on the outside think it's corny. They make fun of it, but players love that stuff. That that really brings the team together, um, and so I, I do get some lovey vibes from him. The way that he operates, the way that he wants. To, I mean, and he, and he coaches the same cover two defense, but like he has that aura about him that like the players are going to play hard for him for sixty minutes, and that that's all you can ask for with a team that doesn't have a lot of talent. Absolutely. So going into a short week here, we got the Washington Commanders and Carson Wentz. Yeah. Carson Wentz coming to town on Thursday. So we talk about winnable ball games. This is one of them. I think yeah. the, sch- the schedule gods have kind of blessed the Bears uh, first outside of that game in Green, in Green Bay. Schedule gods have kind of blessed the Bears uh, for the first few weeks of the season. So we got Carson Wentz fresh off another egregious end zone fourth quarter pick. Um, you know how we feel about Carson Wentz. It's a, this is a very winnable game. Yeah, very winnable game. Uh, but on the short week, prime time on Amazon. So we're going to have Kirk Herbstreet on the call. He's brutal, by the way, yeah, in his NFL games. He's just terrible. Uh, what are you looking for real quick on that game? How do you feel about heading in? Like, what, what are the things that you're going to be looking for against the uh, the Washington Commanders? I want to see if Fields can continue what he did in the fourth quarter, that, that playing with that comfort level, um, taking what the defense will give him, making uh, plays with his legs, playing, making plays with his arms, um, trying to, to get that deep ball going. I mean, a short week, if you're going to play, play on a short week, you want to be at home. So the Bears have that going for them against a team that's just not very good. I, I would say the Commanders, along with maybe the Texans and the Panthers, are, are three of the worst teams in the league. And so this is a, a game that the Bears are not at a huge talent in a deficiency. They have comparable talent to the team they're playing. Uh, so this is a game that I'd like to see uh, them kind of impose their will, get Montgomery and Herbert going, uh, and do their thing. So so th- this is a game that I think the Bears, this, for the first time in a while, I mean, I guess Houston, but for the first time in a while, this is a game the Bears should win. Not could win, but they should win this game. Yeah, I like that. I like that thought. Absolutely. I think that uh, if you look at the commander's play, and again, you look at Wentz and, and just kind of what's going on over there, they got a lot of things to figure out. And this yeah. is the type of opponent that the Bears should 100% win at home uh, at Soldier Field on the Thursday night. Prime time game. All right, man. Well, that's all I got for today. Uh, anything else from you? No, man. Uh, looking forward to uh, Thursday night. Absolutely. All right. Well, there we go. Bears drop it 29-22 against the Minnesota Vikings. Got the Washington Commanders coming on Thursday. I am your host, Nick Harvey, for Eli Cabron. Thank you for tuning in to No Catch of Chicago.